I've seen grown men cry at tour school. Playing bad doesn't make you a bad human being. If you ask yourself the three questions, what did you do well, what did you learn, and what can you do better? Not what happened today. What did you do well today? I didn't do anything well, really. And welcome back. Welcome aboard another part train. I'm one of your hosts, Evan Singer. We got Matt Cermak with me. What's up, Ev? It's great to be back. I can sense you're fired up. I can sense it. I can see it. <laughs> I, I I was just telling Serm off air. I don't know how the fuck he does it. Every time he brings someone from Chicago that I don't know, they blow our mind. I don't know where what what's in the water in Chicago. He's yeah. in Charleston, South Carolina now, but he was in Chicago for 20 years. We're gonna get to this interview with Andrew Emery in a second and give you a little bit of context on what Andrew brought to this interview. But first, in case you guys are new, welcome aboard. We help yeah. frustrated golfers enjoy the ride again because if you can learn to smile through bad golf, you can smile through anything. We unpack the mental game with anyone from a PJ Tour pro to a golfer like you and me and coaches like we did today before we That's get right. to this interview with Andrew and we're going to blow your minds and make you better golfers and better humans. First, we got to talk about our friends at Roback. You were just talking to me about a replenish. Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm getting nervous with the lack of Q-zips. I'm usually have four or five at least. Again, you'll get to your hoodie count, but I'm getting low on some Q-zips with Roback and I'm about to replenish. They're sending me emails like you think they're coming to me, right? Hey guys, restock on the Q-zips. It's like, yeah, I need to. So I am on the verge of uh, getting a bunch of new Q-zips because they're so great. I love the herringbone. They got a couple different materials. Like They've got all kinds of Q-zips now. It used to be kind of like a little more of a stock style, all kinds yeah. of stuff. So Ev, I'm getting a little nervous and anxious. I need some more Q-zips. You know, well, this is um, a great reminder, actually, because when you think yeah. about the different um, worlds Especially that... My, yeah. Serm, Serm's more in a like a business casual world. I work from home. And, right? a, colder, go- and a colder climate, too. And a colder climate. So Serm's going into the office more than me. So Serm naturally will buy the versatile stuff from Roback, like a Q-zip that he can pair with a polo and he can wear it golfing. He can wear Even it. Even a work. vest over. Yeah. Or a vest over, right? That stuff yeah. works for me. I go more of the hoodies and the crew neck sweatshirts. Cause yep. I can dress it up with a crew neck sweatshirt over a polo. And a lot of times I'm at home, so I'm wearing the hoodies. And so that's why Roback is so great because of the versatility and you can use it for work, play golf, et cetera, working out, et cetera. So Roback.com, enter the code train, get 15% off, create a new email if you need to, if the if the discount doesn't work, but do what you ever have to do because you deserve the discount. You deserve it. That's right. Okay. That's from me and Serm. You didn't hear it from us, but you deserve <laughs> it. So thanks to Roback as always for the support. All right. Let's get, give people some context, Serm. You, you reached out to me. You said, sure. Hey, we got this coach. I was like, you know, we don't really do swing coaches anymore. Like we're not going to dig in on the swing on a podcast. Like we want to, we've got to give people value in many different ways. Right. But you were like, no, I think Andrew is our guy. We're not going to focus on swing. How did this come about? Give people context on Andrew. Yeah. Andrew's a, it's funny. I've never met him in person, but I feel like I've known him for a long time. He's a teaching professional from the great, from great Britain, uh, played the mini tours in the nineties, one of the best amateur players in England in the nineties. And then he went on to teach and he taught in Chicago for 20 years. So at Westmoreland country club, which is a great club. And my two of my brothers, Mike and Pat, and my dad took lessons from him. Andrew, what I really remember about Andrew is how much he helped my younger brother, Patrick. He needed, he needed a change in instruction and in his game. Andrew really 
turn the light bulb on for Patrick. Mm. And I, I remember Mike and my dad went. So he's always been a, he's always been a name and a guy we've known and truly respected. You know, fast forward 20 years, he's living in South Carolina now. He's out in Charleston and he's gotten into the YouTube game recently. And he's got a dedicated following quickly, like 16,000 followers, I think in nine months. So I've always known how great of a teacher he was, but it's pretty cool to see him now being exposed to just, you know, your average player from around the world. So my brother, Mike's like, I'm going to go see him, get a lesson from him. And Patrick's like, I've been talking to him. He's helping me as I'm starting my coaching career. I'm like, well, we should just have him on the show. And so yeah. that's how it all came together. And Ev, wasn't it awesome? I mean, because his playing background as an elite player, coaching at a country club, you know, coaching in South Carolina now, all kinds of players, coaching juniors, tour pros and his passion for, you know, the psychology, the mental side, you know, uh, he's, he's kind of done it all, you know? Yeah. So I just thought it was an amazing episode. Ev. I thought we got so much out of it and we're going to have him back. But uh, yeah, I, was I could sense away. you were getting fired up, you know? It, yeah, so Serm, Serm can see me writing notes. He, we're looking at the same doc on our own computers virtually, and he can see me writing notes about title ideas and things. And usually when I have a bunch of notes written down, that's the sign of a good interview. And we looked up five minutes left in the interview, and I was like, oh my God, I can't believe we're already done. We barely scratched the surface. So I was really blown away. I mean, I think I would say stick, make sure you guys stick to the end because the first 20 to 25 minutes, we are talking about the swing, but more theoretical mistakes most people make, common yep. traps. But then it really comes full circle towards the end of the interview. We talk about his struggles with his own game, mistakes he made, things he wishes he would have done differently, things he learned from an LPGA tour pro when he was on tour with her, and just the power this game can have on us as humans and the mental side and the things he sees from the best players in the world that maybe the amateurs aren't doing. I think this is just such, such a perfect way to start the year, you know, for so many yeah. golfers. And I just had so much fun with them, like such yeah, great energy jokester, you know? Yeah. He's just, he's, great, just great. Know, he's great people. And yeah, uh, no, it was awesome. What a treat to have Andrew on. So you yeah, love so, this one, guys. Yeah. So no matter, matter how high the emotions are going, no matter how bad you think you are, if, if you're riding, you know, having thrown yourself a little pity party, we've all done it. What do they got to do, sir? Just enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride, guys. Take care. Andrew Emery, welcome aboard the part trainer, man. We're happy to have you. Evan and Matt, thank you for having me. Good to see you, Andrew. We got a ton we want to get into, but first we got to start with the obvious question, you've given golf lessons to three Cermax, Pat, Mike, Matt's two brothers, and even wow. the original old man Cermak, the father. What is it like giving a golf lesson to the Cermak boys? Did they listen? Are they difficult? Do they know what's going on? Give us a little bit of a look behind the curtain. I can't do that. I've actually <laughs> sworn to secrecy. Uh, with Mr. Cermak <laughs> has some serious Chicago connections. And yeah, I've heard. Uh, I, just, I just can't go there. You know, I can't actually go there. No, I mean, it's been, a, it was a privilege. I'll be quite honest with you. Just a wonderful family. A lot of great times on that driving range. You guys know well, know that it's a lot more about teaching golf. You know, there's a human element to what we do. And, you know, while all of these golfers are tremendously talented in their own ways, they would all argue that they're better than each other. It, it was certainly a lot of fun. We had some great times out there. 
Would you say the old man's got he's got the best move? He's got uh, the best golf shoes, period. Oh, that's true. Best golf yeah. shoes. <laughs> what were his golf shoes? Like twelve yeah, he's got twelve yes. twelve pairs of the original colors. Oh, we're talking we're talking oh, the, all old, different colors. I, the old icons, right? Patent yeah. orange, patent pink, patent joy, yeah. yellow. Oh, he's a color guy. The oh, color yeah. guy, and he's got the cigar that I don't know how the left shoulder. I mean, it's the cigar, the left shoulder. He has like ash marks, you know, on 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 when he was swinging well, he had ash marks on it. Because when he wasn't, just wouldn't reach. He swings yeah. with the cigar. You didn't hear that from me. Yeah, no, oh, he's, incredible. he's incredible with the cigar. Total. Huge stogie, great balance, great wow. turn. Doesn't so who's who's the best? So he's old, old school. What can I say? Old school. And you know what? Some would argue I'm rather old school too, but that's okay. That's the way it should be. Yeah, that's right. Who's who's the best student, Andrew? Pat, Mike, or the old man? You really put me on the spot, guys. This is nice. This is nice. Um, I would say, I would say possibly, possibly Mike Michael. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Possibly Michael. He 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 was the most really driven and motivated and just into it he was really into it and really wanted to get better you know mm. it doesn't take away from the other guys but it's like uh there's nothing better than working with a motivated student right yeah you know there's nothing better mike's got that intensity that uh yeah sticks out maybe not the best dresser you know yeah. we can say that maybe not. but but, <laughs> so. but you know what it's like you you, you got the <laughs> it, what i would describe as the clean teacup you ever heard of this before? No. No. So we've got four types of people, right? When it comes to students, and I use tea because, of course, I'm from the old country, but we've got four cups, and I represent basically the water, right? The information that's going into the cups, and each type of student is represented by each type of cup. You know, the first cup um, is turned upside down, right? And that's the type of student that is basically coming to you because they had a friend that said, you got to see this guy, you got to, and it's like, they don't really want to, mm. but they do it anyway, just to check the box, right? And you pour the water in and it just doesn't, it doesn't go in. Nothing's going in, right? Mm. And the next teacup, of course, is the right way around, but there's a hole in the bottom. We've all, we all know who those guys are, right? You pour the information in, goes in one end and out the other. And then I know if you're, a lot of your listeners are going to be familiar with the dirty teacup, which is, the one where you know you have the student come to you and they've got 65 things that they're already working on. The cup is filthy. And you know, you're gonna pour your nice clean information and it's just, they're just gonna mix it in with what's already going on in their head. Uh, and then of course the last one is the clean one, right? Is turn the right way up, clean, put, and you bop it in. But I mean, our job as coaches is to is to turn the first cup the right way around, put a hole in the second one, clean the third one. And get them all clean, right? I mean, get them all mm. ready to go. That's the interesting thing about the psychology of golfism working with uh, students. But it's always, you could tell fairly quickly early on in a lesson, you know, which cup was belonging to which person. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's funny. That's, 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 yeah. I, lo I love that. Well, Andrew, as you said, it's great to have you on the show. You can joke about my family all day. <laughs> um, I'm happy to do it. But we want to give a little bit of a, an intro to our listeners about you. Tell us, you know, again, we don't want to get too much into the weeds and swing instruction. But no, help no. us under help us understand your philosophy, because I think I have you quoted as there is a pandemic or there's an epidemic right now of over instruction. So talk about your approach, the Andrew Emery approach. 
my approach uh, if you want to impress people make it complicated if you want to help them make it simple mm. that's basically the macro approach that i have when i when i teach and i learned to teach that way being at a country club for 20 years right i mean the locker room is very small and i've had a very unique i guess experience when it comes to coaching because i've worked with a half a dozen tour players i've traveled to three or four different continents you know i've been to augusta i've been to the players championship i've been to the solheim cup working with elite golfers so i have that experience but when it comes to recreational golfers you know splitting a screen and then putting somebody you know someone next to scotty Scheffler and then starting to make comparisons is, is is problematic to say the least and it's not that we can't learn from what the best players are doing but i just don't believe that you should have to subscribe to uh any one method of coaching mm. you know i think that the job of the coach is to meet their students where they're up where they are and at a country club you've got no choice i mean you're working with people that i work with people that had knee replacements hip replacements back problems i've worked with people that had multiple sclerosis i've worked with golfers that have had strokes uh, one gentleman i worked with drove up onto the driving range in the spring and he said to me you thought you had it difficult before you've really got it hard now and he was attached to his golf cart that he drove up from florida he had a stroke the previous winter mm. paralyzed on his left side and he's like let's go wow. you know he's ready to roll so my students are the people that taught me how to teach you know, and I've had mentors and I've read all the books and I've, the technology has come a heck of a long way and it's very useful. Technology has been amazing. But at the end of the day, guys, it's just a lot of window dressing until you get on that lesson tee, you know, and, and you kind of figure out what works and, and what doesn't. So there's no real replacement for experience. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually going, this is good timing, Andrew, because I'm going through it now. Serm and I made 2024 goals at the start of the year. And Surmax was, just to give you some context, to get back into competitive golf and try and qualify for a U.S. mid-am. He hasn't played competitively since college, right? For me, I was probably the dirty cup that you described. Yeah, I want to learn. I'm motivated. I'll spend the time. But I'm trying to use the wrong information or trying to fix something that isn't the problem or the root cause, and I'm not getting real help. I was trying to do it myself or pick something out from this video or pick something out from this interview. And I just realized like my goal was don't change anything without the guidance of your coach and get one coach and work together and start from scratch and build on something together. Right. And, and something I've learned, what you made me think of is I think it kind of has to start with cleaning the cup like to your point like you i think do all good teachers start with stripping things away in your mind the analogy i use and i have this conversation because i think you know when you first meet with someone if you're working with an elite golfer you i mean even you got to look at stats right you got to go back and you got to figure out you know when they were playing well what were they doing well because they haven't got to where they are for for no reason right so you don't need to reinvent the wheel but what you've got to figure out is what, what's relevant and what isn't. And really, it's all about, you know, it's about ball flying. Mindset is obviously incredibly important. We can go there. That's a massive, massive part of this whole thing. But in terms of 
you know, your, your, your swing mechanics, I use, a, I use an imaginary whiteboard. And I say to them, I want you to write down on this whiteboard all the things that you're thinking about in your golf swing. Mm. And then they give me those things and you would be shocked or maybe not shocked how many things I write down. Yeah, and I'm nothing, I'm nothing surprises me with it. It's, it's unbelievable, right? <laughs> now, if a coach doesn't have that interview and they immediately start teaching, you are doomed, mm. right? Doomed before you even start the golf lesson. Mm. So you've got to ask the right questions. That's one of the biggest ones. And what you're going to do is you're going to go down that whiteboard and you're going to erase the 95% of the, of the things on that board that are absolutely irrelevant. What I mean by irrelevant is if they're not influencing contact, distance, or direction, they are window dressing, right? Mm -hmm. And the biggest challenge with coaching, in my opinion, is making changes for the sake of making changes because they don't look right. When much of the time, they're simply characteristics, ironically, that work very well for that student. So you've got to, when it's talked about cause and effect, imagine changing Dustin Johnson's lead wrist flexion, 17 degrees flexed, okay? Or Jim Furyk's loop in his swing, right? Fortunately, those guys were left alone and they, they played, right? And they were super competitive. But there's a lot of kids growing up, especially juniors, that become obsessed with perfection. And I think it's a trap that, us coaches, you know, that's what we do. We teach, we coach, right? It's very, very easy to get caught up in that. And you and it's a very slippery slope. You've got to be quite careful. I'll be quite honest with you. Now, it's an interesting subject. But you got to make sure, you know, whoever you work with, number one, 90 days minimum. Give your coach like 90, 90, 90 P90X, right? Yeah. <laughs> give, give them 90 days. Give them 90 so days. I did you know, that in college. So, so <laughs> yeah. many people in the YouTube space, it's like, you know, it's the it's the band-aid. Yeah. I mean, one and done. So I can sense the one and done's immediately. I mean, I'm doing multiple lessons now, indoors, virtual. I mean, we're talking everywhere from Barbados, Japan, Thailand, the UK, Australia. I mean, it's crazy. YouTube has been amazing, right? And fortunately for me, I'm attracting the type of what you would describe as avatar you know, of, of people that are really vested and interested in getting better. They kind of understand that process, right? But the one and done, you can sense it, right? And the one and done, you'll give a lesson, you'll tell them to work on it a while, and, you'll, and, and you'll, you'll teach them how to practice, because that's incredibly important. You have to practice proficiently, okay? Different stages you have to go through. And then, like, two days later on WhatsApp, I've got, like, links to youtube videos from the same person from another coach like what do you think of this and i'm, I'm looking i'm like oh here we go it's all over right <laughs> it's just like a dark hole out there and i know that a lot of your listeners you know once you get in that youtube it is a dark hole and there's a lot of information out there that takes you from one direction to another to another to another and you really have to find what works best for you it is a process of elimination there's no question so so Andrew, you've talked about, we've got to get, well, it doesn't have to be we, it's you. You're getting back to the art of instruction yeah. to help golfers, right? Like you said, you work with top juniors, you work with best players in the world at the professional level, you work with those weekend warriors. Talk about the art of instruction and maybe what's been the challenge in the last 15 years in teaching for 
coaches or teachers that don't seem to care about it. Well, when I talk about the art of instruction, it's essentially kind of reverse engineering ball flight, you know, back to the swing, not the other way around, swing and then ball flight, right? So let's just say a lot of elite golfers, for example, it's all about body segments, right? It's about sequence, right? Rhythm is sequence. We've got the hands, we've got the arms, we've got the upper body, we've got the lower body. It's not that complicated. You can make it complicated, but it's not that complicated. So you take a junior out on the golf course that's driving their lower body out in front, club gets stuck in a lot of hooks, right? The high-speed golfers, they get stuck in the fast lane, but they're hitting a lot of hooks. So the job of a high-speed golfer is to stabilize their face to have more control. Now, your low-speed golfers, they drive in the slow lane, right? They tend to spin their bodies. Their hands and arm speed is very slow, right? So for those golfers, you're going to get their hand and arm speed a little faster relative to the speed of their body, right? So when we talk about trying to find what works for you, there's no real one way of doing it. That's what I mean about the art of instruction. Like for me to stand here and say, you know, I've had people say, you know, what's your method? You know, what do you, <laughs> I'm like, dude, I'm going to find the best golfer inside of you, right? I mean, that's my job, right? Based on your limitations, your athleticism, your time and inclination to practice, a number of, of, of factors, okay? And we've got to, you know, we've got wants and needs, right? I want a Porsche 911 GTS so badly, you can't even imagine that. I need a, a kid carrier, okay? So that's what I got. <laughs> you ask a lot of golfers what they want. I want to hit it 20, 20 yards further. You know, what they need is to learn to be able to pitch it from 20 yards and not take three shots to get on the green. So, you know, as I say, it's incumbent on the coach to kind of get to the, just to get to the bottom of what works for each individual. And it's definitely a challenge. There's no question. But, you know, I think it's just being creative in your, in your approach. I mean, I talked to Wayman yesterday. I was at a Stono uh, Ferry, wonderful course here in Chicago. Many thanks to Pete Skirpstis. He's the director of operations out there. And I was at the back of the range. College Charles, like a fantastic facility. I was working with Wayman. And, uh, you know, he's getting a little vertical, right? So we worked on hitting draws, right? Had him walk around, he's a lefty. So had him walk around the circle to the right and filmed him. And all of a sudden he's got some depth in his, in his backswing. He's not really thinking about it, but you know, his line started to improve and all we've got him doing is focusing on a different start line. And it's just naturally starting to drip feed his way into his golf swing. Now I could have stood there and worked on three stages of the backswing. But right. what he's going to do is he's going to get out on the golf course because he's got some events coming up and Good he's point. going to play two balls and he's going to have a draw pattern. Okay. And then he's going to work his way to, back to neutral again. So there are different ways to do it with the intention of playing and taking it to the golf course and being creative. Okay. If you're stuck the other way underneath it, I know a lot of your viewers are underneath it. You know, you've got to you've got to try and get that divot working the other way. Okay, you're going to have more of a pull a pull fade, right? You've got to work on trying to start the ball left. Maybe you're going to try and hit the ball a little bit lower. So you know, you can do wonderful things with creativity based on trying to actually hit different shots, as opposed to getting caught up in positions in the golf swing. And it's not to say it's not important to stand there and work on positions, but I think it's important to also do everything with the target in mind, mm. with intention you know, with a, with a shot or a pattern in mind. Uh, I just don't feel there's enough of that. There's a, so much analysis is what I'm trying to get to. It's like yeah. analyze, 
analyze, yeah. you know, and not analyzing everything. And that, right. I, I think that connects with you have, cause like, it's like, well, then we gotta go play, you know, work on all this stuff, but how do I go think and how do I go play? Yeah. Andrew, it's been really eye opening this last month of how much I conditioned myself to panic and try and fix and solve problems immediately after something happens. And this is just on the range. The course is another story. And pulling myself back on the range and saying, it doesn't matter right now. What I'm doing right now is I'm trying to learn a motion and a feel. Does my mm -hmm. feel match the motion? And what is what am I trying to learn? Oh, okay, I finally learned how with rhythm, the club will naturally hinge. Right. I don't need to try and hinge. Yeah. Let me try and feel that natural hinge and swing with rhythm to a release. I was always a guy that held on. That's what I see all the time, my man. I mean, you, you're spot on. It's like you take it one step further. Let's back up even more. Yeah. Rhythm. Rhythm is where you place the speed in your swing. Tempo is the overall speed or ratio of the golf swing. They're, they're a little bit different, okay? Rhythm starts with tension. No question about it, right? You can't imagine how much tension I experience in the in the joints, the wrists, the elbows, and the transition, the upper, upper arms, upper arms, biceps, triceps here, lock up, mm. right? Your arms lock up, you transition spin. Right, you don't get rid of the golf club. When I say get rid of the golf club, guys, I'm not talking about dumping the club. I'm talking about upper arm, lower arm, wrist. Okay, swinging motion of the golf club, and that's what's missing in, for so many golfers. The ninety percent of the golfers that are, are watching this right now need to understand the importance of swinging the golf club with the support of the body. And it yeah. doesn't mean the body doesn't have a role. All right. But elite golf club uh, golfers understand how to create speed with their hands and arms, right? They have permission to work on a lot of the things that you see on YouTube when it comes to creating depth, for example, okay, and getting open, right side bend for those of those golfers that have very strong grips. You've got permission to work on that. When you've got a recreational golfer that's got enormous amount of tension, that's never actually learned to articulate their wrist and swing their arms. And they're watching videos that are telling them to use their body even more. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I've got emails every day. I'm getting emails. Okay. People getting injured, right? Because they don't have the mobility, internal hip mobility. They've got issues there. So yeah, I mean, you have already in you some wonderful athleticism. You can work on a swing feel. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. But you need to get out there and you need to swing with a degree of reckless abandon. And that is the biggest challenge, ultimately, is when we get out on the golf course, we start focusing on results. And once your mindset moves to results, it creates tension. Mm -hmm. That's the overriding issue, right? Yeah. You know, emotional self-regulation. I mean, that really, I mean, that's what psychology is. Psychology is emotional self-regulation. And it's much easier to work on that when you're trying to find the best version of yourself with the golf swing with a target in mind than it is trying to control what the ball is doing, which is result orientated. Mm -hmm. I love what Bryson says, Bryson DeChambeau says about this. Somebody asked him, hey, I get nervous on the first tee. He goes, yeah, everybody gets nervous. What are you thinking about, Bryson? He goes, I'm just so obsessed with my target 
and what my feel is. I want to hit a high draw here. Now, I don't want to get too much into Bryson, right? But like when you think about target and you think about your move and your feel, that distracts you from everything else that's trying to get inside. Because yeah, I'm not talking about this a lot, Andrew. You yeah. can't block out the thoughts, but you can't manage them. No, right? you can't. You, you absolutely can't. It's replacing replacing a negative thought with positive thought. You can't think of both at the same time. I played golf with Justin Smoke yesterday, who played for the Blue Jays, bounced around. He was 10 yeah. years in the majors. One year, he had 35 home runs. It was unbelievable. And I, you know, I can get away with this for some from England, but he's a fantastic guy. We had a heck of a lot of fun out, out there. And I said, were you a hitter or were you a pitcher? And I already kind of knew, but I just asked him anyway. <laughs> we were just giving each other a hard time. He said, I was a, I was a hitter. I was a switch hitter. I said, well, that's a shame. He's like, oh, yeah. what do you mean? I just, I just learned this. Yeah. Right? I know where you're going. So uh, I said, well, you know, pitchers react to targets. I said, hitters react to the ball. And he said, he just was so inquisitive. He's like, keep going, keep going. <laughs> But ultimately, you know, it's when you're reacting to the ball, right? You have generally a hit reflex or a violent disruption. Hitters are a lot broader. Good hitters are broader, shorter arms, incredibly strong upper body. Pitchers, a lot of them are very long, like me in many sense, right? I'm, I'm six four. I'm kind of a skinny, skinny guy, and they have a suppleness in their arms. They also are very tactile. So they use their wrists a lot. They use their hands a lot to create different spins, right? So it's no shock that pitchers are better golfers right. than hitters. Now, having said that, the dude's been playing for three years. And I think he shot 78 yesterday. Three wow. years he's been playing golf. It was unbelievable watching him. Um, but, you know, it's it's so interesting, you know, when you, when you think about that. You know, there's a lot of elite athletes out there that really struggle I've worked with a couple of NBA centers as well, both both over seven feet tall. You know, the clubs were like mallets. I never forget it, how big, you know, they fitted. The, the grips were like triple. It was just crazy how heavy these clubs were, you know. And it was just, they were, they were, it was clumsy, you know what I mean? And they're just lunging at it with their body because they're used to using their body, right? But they're conflating strength with speed. Mm. right they're conflating strengths really? with speed i think i do um, that as well actually. that's, that's what way i see to talk most about amateurs it. do you know yeah. yeah so i actually just learned this from my coach where this was so fascinating to me he said if you look at pretty much every home run hit in the majors and what that swing is that is a 60 yard slice off the golf course it is <laughs> here the face is wide open <laughs> And the 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 barrel of the bat is basically a wide open face, right? Yeah. And he was using the similar analogy. He was like, "Why do you think Tom Glavin and Greg Maddox are two of the best golfers of major league players?" And it's because and John Smoltz, the whole team. <laughs> John, he basically was like, "The golf swing is basically the pitching motion, but tilted down towards the ball." That's a wonderful comment. Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't agree with you more than that. I mean, say that that sums it all up. I mean, obviously, we've got a kinematic sequence. I'm not here to to say that's not the case. It's crazy. It's well and truly a lower body, upper body, arms, hands, and club. But you have a a real sequence. That's that, and you have a feel sequence, right? <laughs> and it's the feel sequence that's the challenge, just right. So you get someone who's a little older, I mean, I say older, even in their late 30s and 40s, they're not the way they were when they're, when they're 18. 
and they don't have a, the ability to be able to separate some of these segments. So they, they they know they need to use their body and they drive their body out in front of the arms, right? And then the body has to slow down and then the arms have to catch up. And then the first thing they're going to tell you is you stand on the driving range, you look at them, you know, and the first thing they're going to say is, I feel like I've just got a, an arm swing. It just feels like an arm swing. I want to use my body more. And no matter that, they never got better, right? Mm. When the truth of it is they, they've got no choice but to finish their swing with their arms because their body's in front of their arms. So my point is this, the golf swing is a, is, a, is a marriage between so many different parts, right? It's a harmonious motion that all has to come together at that point of collision. Boom, one four thousandth of a second, right? When the club hits the golf ball. But for the vast majority of golfers, you'd be far better served almost feeling like your arms are employing your body on the way through the golf shot. It's yeah. the feel sequence right. that I like to call it. And again, people take you literally like, ah, what are you talking about? You know, but the best players in the in the world, you know, what people don't realize is they create more vertical speed with their arms in the transition than you can possibly imagine. 20 plus miles an hour, you know, before they even get to that delivery position here, right? Relative to the speed their body's turning. Amateurs, they move their arms and body very much at the same speed. Yeah. No one talks about it, but that's yeah. just a fact. So peak arm speed is, is way before impact. Everyone thinks peak arm speed's at the ball. No, your arms slow down as you approach impact. They don't mm. speed up. So that's what I'm saying, right? So it's important to understand that. So in order to create peak arm speed, you got to monitor the tension in your joints. There we go. Back to square one. So it's right. like sweep the golf club freely, allow the golf ball to be captured don't hit at it, send it like a pitcher would send it, and yeah. you'll find the best version of you. I mean, I'm not talking about breaking your swing down and starting all over. You'd be shocked. A couple of adjustments to ball position and setup, making sure the grip's in a good position so you can articulate your wrists, obviously. Bad yeah. grip's a huge problem. And then basically just get someone swinging with a degree of freedom and then it's unbelievable. You can't even believe. I've got videos on my YouTube channel, you know, of, of lessons I've given. These people have maybe one or one swing feel, and you wouldn't even believe the difference in their golf swing with one swing feel. You don't need to over-instruct. It's just not necessary. All right, guys, stay seated. Keep those seatbelts fastened. I got big news from one of our friends and one of your favorite sponsors, Meridian Putters. They just did maybe the impossible. Okay, I've been in this industry a very long time, and I used to work with TaylorMade. I know how the Golf Digest hot list works. I can't remember the last time that a company won a gold medal hot list for their product the first year in business and the first time ever submitting to the Golf Digest hot list. Meridian Putters won a gold medal in the blade category for the Charleston and Okatee models. Okay, let me just put this in a little bit of context. Remember, Meridian is a new milled putter company that based on their manufacturing process and their mission and commitment to helping everyone experience the joy and the beauty of a milled putter, they can mill a putter from a single block of steel for half the price of a Bettinardi and a Scotty Cameron. People used to ask me, is it as good? Is it as good? You don't have to wonder if it is. It is. They won the same award in the same category as Bettinardi and Scotty Cameron, and their putters start at under 250 bucks. 
and you can totally build and frame your own putter from the model, the finish, face insert or not, and the cut. You can even inscribe, I put the Partrain logo on the toe and I put the coordinates of the old course at St. Andrews on the heel. And I put enjoy the ride on the sole. Meridian has done something that I can't remember anyone ever doing. We just did a, a giveaway on Instagram. If you listen to the show and you don't follow our Instagram, that's a good reason to do it. We gave away four gold putters as celebration on Friday. This is coming out on Sunday. So if you didn't win, go to meridianputters.com, enter the code TRAIN, and you can get 25% off building your own milled putter. Again, the ones that won are the Charleston and OKT models, the milled series, even though they're all milled. And you can build your own putter for less than 200 bucks that is just as good as a Scotty or a Bettinardi. I don't know if we've ever had a better deal than that on this show. So meridianputters.com, enter the code TRAIN, get 25% off. Huge congrats to my friends at Meridian. This is something unheard of, and it's a really a testament to their quality and what they've accomplished. So I hope you guys can experience this quality for yourself. I love mine. And uh, let's get back to the show. My last point on what I've learned recently, and then I got a question for you about when you played, is oh. I was, I've been <laughs> pretty much, I've been posting my lessons with my coach, Josh, on our YouTube. And I've been blown away at the domino effect that I've learned, right? And I think every golfer needs this like crash course, basic education of the relationship of things. And for me, having a weak left-hand grip or the club in my palm mixed with really tight, rigid shoulders is an impossible place to swing because... Look at, at Matt's face. It's hilarious. Right? And now I've <laughs> learned like just oh, having... Matt's just, like... Yeah, it's just death. Right? It's, yeah, death. it's death. He's like, this is death. But having yeah. the right grip pressure in the right place yeah, with some loose shoulders so that it naturally folds and I can get it over on the right arc. Now it's like, yes, it's still a long road. I'm still learning a ton, but I, at least I know, and I have the confidence that I'm giving, I'm putting myself in better positions. I'm giving myself a better chance. Whereas That's before, great. I mean, I had someone email us literally yesterday, sir, I haven't told you this. And he's like, Hey man, I've been, I've been gotten down to an 11 and I just hit the ball too high. What clubs would you recommend? I go, who the hell's telling you that you're hitting the ball too high? Right. Like why, why we're creating problems that might not be a problem. Now, if you live in the UK and you're playing in 30 mile power wind, maybe you want to learn how to flight the ball down. But well, there's a like, difference. There's a difference between hitting it too high and having too much spin, right? Right. I mean, if you're hitting right. it high and your spin numbers are good, not necessarily a bad thing. Right. But if you're hitting it like, high look and at Jason Day the and Rory McElroy, right? Like yeah, so totally. I guess my point is is that we we're trying to solve things without even knowing really if it's the problem. So let me ask you this, Andrew. Going from playing professionally to now coaching, is there anything you wish you knew now that you're a coach that oh would have God. made you a better player? You're opening a can of worms here. <laughs> All right, let's start with psychology and then end with psychology. <laughs> I hate to admit it. This is tough. This is very humbling. I know you've got some people that are going to be watching this, apparently. But there's four types of golfers. You've got your ballers, right? Which are your A talent, just unbelievable talent, and your A mindset. 
just the way it is, right? Your speeds and what have you. They're very few. They're like unicorns. And you maybe just talk about college rather than the pros because so many of them are already elite in both areas. But then you've got your showboats, okay? <laughs> and your showboats are A talent, B mindset. So, you know, they look like Jason Day on the driving range and in practice rounds and everything else, they're amazing. And then they go out there and they can't break 76, okay? And these guys are sensitive, okay? And emotionally, I would say fragile is a good way of describing it. And it's just, okay. it's okay. Pouters, they're pouters, okay? And probably there's a little bit of a struggle with self-worth where the self-worth is so connected to their golf shots that if they hit a bad shot, it just is all over, okay? And that's extremely common, okay? Uh, and then you've got your grinders. Your grinders, they make, they're the ones, the golfers that kind of make those college coaches which is look phenomenal, right? Because they really, the expectations weren't that high. B talent, but they've got the A mindset. And those are the guys that you want on every single team if you're a college coach, because, you know, people that will always talk about the number one and two players on the team, right? You saw the, the, the young man just won the tournament uh, two weeks ago. It's unbelievable. It's extraordinary. That's all everyone talks about. But from a college coach's perspective, let me tell you who's the most important, the number five guy is the most important. That score counts, just like the number one guy. <laughs> so ultimately, what was missing for me, and, I, and it's been, it been hard for me to come to terms with this, was grit, was a, a sense of grit. I basically will get my feelings hurt out there, uh, like a lot of kids do. And I know a lot of you guys out there that play golf, you hit a few bad shots, you get your feelings hurt, and you can't reboot, right? I mean, you're the one who writes the computer. It's a supercomputer. You're the one that writes the program. You own the keyboard. And on that keyboard, I'm looking at it right here is a delete button, okay? And you can either choose to delete and rewrite, the, rewrite, or you can just run that bad program. And I think that's what separates, honestly, the best players. And uh, I talked to Justin Smoke about this. And uh, I mean, he would go 0 for 20, and then you have another night, you know, he'd punch out three times and then he'd have to like face like Verlander the next day. Right. <laughs> what he told me was when he was when he was up playing really, really well, he'd have to bring himself down. And when he was really low, he had to bring himself up. But he knew that the key is he knew how to emotionally regulate. And that ultimately is what the best business people no matter what field you're in, honestly, there's a wonderful book. I've got it right here. Angela Duckworth, Grit. Okay. You guys haven't read this. Absolutely phenomenal. All right. elite juniors I work with, this is part of their homework, right? They read this book. You know, that's what it's all about. I mean, she's a UPenn psychologist and it talks about the B's talent and the A mindset and how ultimately the program you write, the things, the thing you think about, uh, you manifest that. And I think had I had that knowledge and experience, this is what, you know, the kids are so much better prepared these days. I didn't have a golf psychologist. I didn't. I was out there on my own trying to figure it out on my own as an 18, 19 year old, 20 year old kid, obviously not emotionally mature. And I had that A talent as an amateur. I mean, I, I reached number three in the country in England and number seven, Great Britain and Ireland. And I, I won a bunch of huge events. And then I went to tour school I turned pro a year too early. I was shortlisted for the Walker Cup. 
And I, I was, I got all peed off with myself and I felt sorry for myself because I didn't make the full England squad that year, England international, right? There's only a very few good players get on this squad, but I've been playing golf in the United States. So none of this, no one really knew who I was. I just blitzed my way onto the scene. And I was like, dad, I'm going to turn pro. I'm going to turn pro. And the England selectors, I never, ever forget it. They said, just one more year, just one more year, you know? And uh, I turned pro. And again, you make decisions based on where you were at the time. I went down to second stage, finished seventh in Spain. And then I went down to Montpellier, played in the south of France, final qualifying Euro, Euro Tour and gained Euro Challenge Tour status. Wound up actually coming back over to the United States and just, I mean, it was unbelievable. Dakota's tour, Gary Player tour, Tommy Armour tour. I played every single tour you could possibly imagine and played pretty well initially. I remember I was 70.8 stroke average, played like 108 rounds in a summer. It was not, it was crazy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a crazy for those of you that experienced this, you guys out there that played the minis and done this stuff. But I made like $17,800, I think. I think that's what it was. And it's very, very difficult unless you get over that hump and you get to get through a Q score. And I just didn't quite have that inner belief, you know, and that's ultimately what sets these guys apart is, you know, this sort of absolutely resolute, unwavering, unshakable self-belief that you are destined to be one of the best players in the world. Matt Fitzpatrick had it. I interviewed him at the Gleacher Center. He spent a couple of semesters at Northwestern. Northwestern, yeah. Yeah, I was practicing. I was teaching out there. Pat Goss, great guy. He's the coach out there. And he came in, he started hitting balls. And I got talking to him. I said, Matt, how did you know? He's like, what do you mean? How did I know? I said, when you turn pro, right, your foot, how did you know that you belonged? He said, Andrew, I looked on the range. I think it was at Wentworth and all the best players in the world. Everyone that he would have watched on TV from the age of like 10, right? Think about that for a minute. And he said to me, look me in the eye. And he said, I knew that if I played my best golf, there's no one on that range that could play better than me. Mm. You know? Yeah. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And I think what's interesting about this, Andrew, such good conversation. When I play my best book golf, I know I'm the best. But what you are getting into on with your game, and this is so much for all of us, when I'm not playing my best golf, I'm not strong enough to hang in there. I don't know how to hang yeah, what in do I, well What enough. do I lean into? Yeah. Is I would that, say just- I would lean into a cocktail personally. Yeah. But like, and I think that that's, you know, it's how do you grind? How do you have that grit when those first five, six holes just are no good or you're hitting that shot that you've never seen before, or you just haven't seen it in a while and it freaks you out. Like, or your least favorite shot. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's expectations, right? I mean, I'd be talking about, I told you guys, I played Bay Hill a few weeks back. I had no expectations. I mean, I didn't play October 27th, right? My last round of 15 rounds in last year. I still managed to keep a, like a plus one index. I, I've played Bay Hill. I've got a little arrangement with uh, with Arnold Palmer, you know, half and half tea and what have you. Great guys. I went down there and I'm nervous, right? I'm nervous because it's like, mm. I haven't played. I mean, it's like I haven't played for a couple months. Just like any of you guys would be, if you really want to play well, right? Try hard. How's that work for you with golf, right? But anyway, what I did is I convinced myself, like I'm staying overnight. It's like I'm I'm taking deep breaths. I'm trying to visualize the round. And I convinced myself that, and you, you don't laugh, okay? I said, you know what? Bay Hill is a tough course. They're two or three weeks out from the tournament. I said, if I shoot 80, I shoot par. 
So just, just hang in there for a second. I said, I shoot 80, I shoot par. So what I did is I baked into the cake a couple doubles, a few bad shots, maybe a flub chip and a three putt, or whatever it was going to be, because I'm rusty, okay? And when I got on the first tee, all right, I don't think I've ever been more relaxed. Mm. Mm. And I proceeded to, you know, shoot 66. I shot, you know, I make a bogey on nine from the middle of the fairway and, and just, I don't think I really missed a golf shot, right? But ultimately, I, I, I wasn't expecting that. Are you kidding me? I wasn't expecting that. But that's a big part of it. I mean, I, did, I swung with a degree of freedom and I focused on picking shots and I was relaxed. And I got myself into a sort of optimal, optimal emotional state for me. And it's different for everyone. Mm. For me, I have to be relaxed and calm. If you asked John McEnroe that back in the day, he'd probably say it's quite the opposite. Yeah. So it's not that there's any right or wrong way of doing it, but you have to find the emotional state that works best for, for you, really. Yeah, well, the cool thing about that is you, like you're playing for fun there, right? Like yeah. it, it's it's actually quite refreshing to hear that you got nervous because I would think I, you're absolutely. in the, yeah, I think that's great to hear because- Around yeah. like that, you've been around the game a long time. You played pro, you coach. Like it'd just be another day. I wouldn't think that you would get nervous. But the cool thing about it is, like, you know, it's it's kind of wild what can come up for you in these moments and how golf. Or Matt said it so many times: golf doesn't define you; it reveals you. But understanding what you do what my tendencies are. So if I'm nervous, cool, I should be nervous. Well, I tend to get a little quick and I tend not to make a full turn. So I'm going to focus on making a full turn here. You see how you went from emotional nerves to a process driven thing that you can lean into. I think those are the types of conversations that make such a big difference for people. And I'll tell you this, Andrew, I was at uh, Bandon a few months ago and I was playing Pacific Dunes the next day. I was alone. I was, I was matching up with a, another three. I was there for some work stuff. And this past year I've been hitting the ball worse than I ever have. And I've been playing at some of the best courses in the world. Crazy combination, right? And you factor in wind and rain and all that on top of it. And I told this story once I'll tell it again. I was sitting in the Pacific grill before my round. I showed up earlier than I thought I needed to, and I'm eating breakfast and I said, you know, in, I just made a decision. Instead of what I'd previously been doing unconsciously without realizing it, instead of being worried, nervous, and thinking that I'm going to fix, is this going to be the day I fix the problem? Am I going to find something that fixes the problem? I'm just going to believe that I'm good enough. I can, I know what to do. I've I've hit many shots. And this, by the way, this might sound crazy to someone that's struggling. And I want to remind people, this is at my lowest, at my lowest. So I don't have the evidence to back this up. But I told myself, you know, I'm okay. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to lean into the people I'm with. I'm going to learn about them. I'm going to take a extra time to, to try and remember every hole and look at the beauty and I'm going to focus on rhythm and I'm going to be okay today. 
and I started two or three under through six. And then, of course, you get to the six hole, and it's like, oh, sh- hell yeah. Now I'm really, now I, I'm really scared. Now I'm really <laughs> starting to put it together, and you get away from the thing that got you there, and that's when I started making doubles, and I had to get back to it. But that I just want to tell that story because, like, to your example, you had an intention, and you set – you you made a decision. Par is 80 today. Nice. I made a decision. I'm God. good today. Like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm going to focus on what I can control. I'm going to focus on my rhythm, and I'm going to – Look at the beauty. And that was my intention for the day. And that took away some tension. And I hit, I, I made some birdies, which I hadn't made in quite a while. So, you know, I think there's some real power to making a decision and focusing on something productive. And Andrew, that's, I mean, Evan's got his thing. You've got your thing. Mine's different than both of that. When you feel like you're at your, the right state. And that's what you're trying to teach your students. That's that. that You've got to get your mind into it. You've got to, you're talking about getting your mind into a state of abundance rather than a state of lack. Mm -hmm. And if you get into a state of lack, usually the trap is result orientation. That is what pulls you into lack because you're going to hit terrible shots. It's baked into the cake, guys. You're just not going to pure it, right? If you get yourself into a state of abundance, you're opening up possibility. Mm. and that's I like that and that's the point and it's that's what i did you know and uh, it's that possibility that it's like a, it, it's what breeds confidence that's the irony behind the whole thing so it's very very easy to get trapped up in result orientation and that's when you start to put yourself through this emotional roller coaster you choose how you react emotionally uh, it's mm-hmm. called emotional detachment, okay? And if you decide, you choose to, to get yourself upset, really, really upset, I mean, really upset, or, but or, you proceed down, to birdie. Right? Really and you, down. And you, but listen, you birdie four of the next five holes, you need to keep getting upset. That's you, all right? I worked with a, a young lady on the LPGA tour that was just like that. She got to number six in the world. I traveled a lot of different places with her. I learned more from her though. You know, it's incredible. And first of all, when you're working with great players, coaches get way too much credit when their players play well, and they probably get too much crap when they play badly, in my opinion. But, you know, what I learned from her was you set your own standards. And so I kept saying to her, don't get upset. I was out there, you know, it's like she's just a little bit offline. She's 25 yards past everybody else. And she's kind of whining and everything. I said, look, we got we to let this go. Let's just stay focused. But I didn't really get it, right? I was just learning on, I was just trying to figure some of this stuff out. She turned around. She said, Andrew, I set my own standards. I'm like, okay, no problem. Right. <laughs> so I just kept walking down the fairway. I'm like, that's fine. No problem at all, you know. It's great to be here today. <laughs> but do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But ultimately, she would like drag the club behind her and get upset. And she'd be like birdie, birdie, pa, pa, birdie, eagle. That was her way of firing herself up and saying to herself, come on, I got this. I can mm-hmm. do this. Come on. Right. Yeah. And you got other golfers that of course, you know, getting that state, getting that emotional state on the first tee, you know, they're just, they're just awful, you know, and uh, you know, it just doesn't work for them. You've got to get yourself a lot calmer. 
I was the latter. I was, you know, I had to be really, really calm when I played well. Um, but mindset, I mean, go back to just real quick here. I talked to you about Larry Bird. But one of my favorite books is Larry Bird Drive. Okay. And uh, I love it because it's, there's no ghostwriter involved in this thing. I mean, it's like when he first started out, it's like he's literally sit, sitting in a log cabin up in Wisconsin somewhere and just, or, you know, just writing this book. And it talks a little bit about mindset. Okay. And this is what I want you guys and your listeners to understand, because you just got to look at the elite formers to, to learn from them, right? And learn what worked best for them. And he was talking about, I think it was the uh, national championship game. Was it Indiana State? Indiana State, yeah. Indiana State. So, so I mean, how good is Larry Bird, right? In college? I mean, it's just, it, it's phenomenal, right? The three-point shots, the layups, the part, I mean, just the guy holistically has one of the best games of all time, right? And he's a leader on top of it, right? But in the first half of the game, he, he attempted like eight or nine three-point shots, missed every one of them, like 0 for 9, okay? So they go in the locker room and they're down like 15, 20 points. And the coach says to Larry, he said, Larry, we're going to have to mix it up. We're going to change things around for the second half, you know? When you're getting double teamed, you're missing all these shots. He said, why, coach? He said, well, you've missed, you know, all these three-point shots. There's no way we can keep going. He said, coach, the more... I miss the odds of making the next one are that much higher. And he said, mm. the more I make, the odds of me making the next one are that much higher. And the, and the player next to him said, you can't have it both ways. And he said, well, why? Why? So my point is, my point is this, if you have the right emotional state and your bad shots are baked into the cake emotionally, it's far, far easier to move on and get through the sort of scratchy part of a round. Mm. 10, 11, 12, I played yesterday. As I say, when I, when I played with, with, with Justin, I played with Pete. And I'm even through nine. It's a pretty tough course. I have played it before. And uh, Pete Skirpstus, he played on tour for, you know, for a while. He's like a plus three or four. Hits it 50 yards by me. And I'm talking, I hit it 270. He's 320, right? It's, um, it's, um, it's how far he's hitting his He's playing dog legs and hitting lines that, I mean, I'm looking at it like, wh where is he going, right? And we're tied through nine. We have a little match and what have you. And I bogey 10, 11, and I bogey 12. And I got a bit of a bad run. And then I'm faced at like 13, and it's like this. With like, you know, water right, out of bounds left. <laughs> yeah, we've all been there, right? And it's like, ah. Uh, ah, this isn't good. But I stood on the tee and I said, what's the worst thing can happen? My wife's still going to love me. I've got three great kids. I said, I'm going to go ahead and just let this one go. We're going to add 20 yards on this drive. And I just melted it you know, right down the middle of the fairway. And I guess that's the point. It's you, We've all been there. Now, it's a lot easier said than done. But when you come to realize that there's a couple billion people in China that could care less that you're hitting a weak slice, right it makes the game a lot easier and that's what you're talking about evan yeah you know when you're out in bandon how is that any different yeah yeah it's so interesting mindset 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 no question about it get out on the golf course you know i mean that's incredibly but, important play, but, play two balls don't play one play two play a two ball scramble with yourself andrew can we dig into that your this moment in your match yesterday oh god so yeah you go three bogeys in a row 75 Okay, so you held it together on the back nine. Held it together. 
so yeah, to speak. wasn't quite feeling it. And it's like the course was just tight enough where doing that all the way around was, was definitely a little bit challenging. I would say I was hedging. You know how you're hanging on a little bit? Right. Do you think on that 14th, 13th hole, the, yeah. the tight one without a bounce left, water right? Yeah. Because yeah. it was so difficult off tee, it really got your attention. Like, why couldn't you get your attention earlier on 11? Like, why was this the moment of getting out of the yeah, little fun? Here's the thing. It's not that I needed more. The attention was wrong. It just wasn't there. And that's why I made bogey, right? It's just, I mean, when you, when you talk about grinding, hmm. what grinding is all about is, is focusing. It's so hard to focus. Yeah. For that long period of time, for five years. Oh god, yeah. <laughs> it's, but, it kills us. But but if you divide the seventy shots by thirty seconds, it's thirty five minutes in a four hour round. Right, right. So yes and no. That's the one thing Phil talked about after winning the PGA at age fifty. Was yeah. this the first time in a while I was I was able to focus? How crazy yeah, is that? Yeah, that and that's one thing really, he talked about. Even ultra competitive, which he is, and and. uh uh, Justin obviously is a you know phenomenal you know baseball player. It's the same thing. I mean, I asked him a bunch of questions. Trust me, I just wanted to get into his head. It was so awesome. And that's the one thing he, you know he said. You know, he just realized coming out of college the expectations were high. You know, he was expected to hit 30, 40 home runs a year. He took him four years to start playing well. Justin Rose, how many miscuts? Oh my god! After, after, and he was young. 20, yeah, twenty-five. Think about that for a minute. At the great 25. British Open. Yeah, third at the British Open. Remember the famous shot? Yep, yep. And then he... But, but this is my point. When and then he missed the next grit, 25 cuts? Okay, so that's grit. That's grit. That's grit. I don't think so I knew that. That's perseverance. Yeah. So that's someone that is so incredibly resolute and unwavering that they, deep in their, deep in their heart, succeeding at what they do is as important as breathing. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's such a small percentage of people out there that are that are ultra successful because what it takes is is something else. I mean, there's no question about it. That's why I didn't quite. I, I mean, I just didn't quite get there because I reached a very high level. But it's like I went through tour school four times. But you want to know the truth of it? Yeah, I should have gone through twelve times. Mm. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I should have gone through twelve times. Who cares? I'm thirty nine. I'm 40. I'm still going to Q school. It's incredible. Mm. You want it that bad. Would I have just kept going? Yeah, I would have probably kept going. Do you mm. see what I'm saying? It's so interesting. Yeah. Like, Maybe we'll you know. finish with this, Andrew, because I think when I think about everything we've talked about today, I think it comes down to, you know, you, you broke down multiple types of golfers and how easy it is to start feeling sorry for yourself and getting down. I think everything it comes down to, we've talked to some of the best sports psychologists in the world. And the best players in the world and the best coaches. And I think what it always comes down to is, can you get back to competing? And it is so hard to compete when you feel like shit and you feel like you don't know where it's going. It's easy to compete when you feel like you're feeling good, like, hell yeah, bring it on. Right. It's easy to be competitive and start talking shit and, and be offensive, but to have the courage to do that, and the self-belief that you're not that far away. The discipline. <laughs> and you just you just lost focus. You weren't focused on the right thing. 
you you got you fell into some bad habits, you weren't focused on what you were doing, you get back to the things that help you and you compete, now you start to get offensive again. Now that's kind of what you described on what was it, the 13th tee? You you accepted the bad, but you kind of competed in that moment. No question. No question. I mean, if you ask yourself the three questions, I ask this of all my students, okay? What did you learn? I mean, what did you do well? What did you learn? And what can you do better? That's the cycle. All right. Um, mm. What did you do well today? Not what happened today. What did you do well today? I didn't do anything well. Really? Let's talk about that for a second. All right. Again, you're in that pity cycle, right? We've got to get you out of that. Playing bad doesn't make you a bad human being. I, mean, I kid you not. This is no joke. I almost broke my hand on my steering wheel at one tournament. That's how upset. I've seen grown men cry at tour school. You talk about you guys out there, recreational golfers, you know, that are struggling. Try when, you, when you're at tour school, there is nothing. Even the most elite golfers, they know what it's like. It's unbelievable, okay? But you've got a choice. You can either, either and, and again, you can feel sorry for yourself. It's okay to do that. I'm not suggesting don't. But you have to process that, and you have to flip that energy. And it's all about energetics. I can tell you right now, energetics is the answer for everything in life. We're all energy. And that's getting you into that mindset and getting you into a positive mindset is all about taking what you did poorly and learning from it and then growing and expanding. And it's a rare person that's able to take the worst things in life. There are people that have had incredible lives that were in concentration camps, guys. Okay. And I've gone on to inspire people, you know, incredible human beings in the worst experiences that life could ever afford them that have gone on to, to have been incredible human beings. If anyone should feel sorry for themselves, it's someone like that, right? Mm -hmm. And here we are whining about missing bad golf shots, right? Yeah. I mean, I think it's all about perspective. I think it's all about you know, learning and figuring out little tiny incremental improvements in each area. And whether that be your mindset that you learn from, not so much your physical score, but your emotional score when you go play, have two scores, you know, keep your emotional score and challenge yourself in the most crazy way to bridge the gap between how bad you score and how good your mindset is. Yeah. That's the challenge. Mm. Because then you're putting yourself in a very, very elite level emotionally by learning how to detach yourself from what you just did. And I, I think that honestly is the big challenge. You know, I mean, emotional detachment is what I what I see elite golfers be able to do because that enables them to refocus. They don't get so caught up in it. So yeah. very, very challenging. It's a wonderful game. You guys know it. I mean, it's incredibly, I, I the longer I teach, I feel like the less I know. <laughs> that's yeah. that's not true <laughs> i kid you not i'm one of my 30,000 lessons in coming up here and uh it's like really really you know but, so yeah just just you just keep learning it's it's a phenomenal game it's a game for life you know i mean i just love it so it's well, the best this was Andrew, a lot of fun this was great i mean i i think we barely scratched the surface so we'll have to have you back and dig into more of your personal stories your own game thank you but Andrew Emery Golf on YouTube, andrewemerygolf.com. Andrew Anywhere Emery else you want to Golf. You got it. Yeah. You can always reach me on my contact page on my website, andrewemerygolf.com. 
love to serve anyone that feels like they could uh, use a little help. So remember, guys, don't overthink it. Don't overthink it. Keep it simple, okay? Yeah. I also want to say one final reminder. Your example of, you know, the perspective, I think it's also just reiterates as I've experienced this myself, the the power of knowledge in the sense of what I do and why I do it makes it so much easier to have emotional detachment because the panic button doesn't get pressed because I know what I'm doing. My coach tells me our big goal is if it goes right, it's not that, oh shit, it went right. It's that I held on. How can I go back to my thing to release it? Right. And the red sirens don't need to go off. And it doesn't need to go off. I just need to get back to what I do. And that's an entirely different way to play the game, but it's very difficult to get there. Remember, it's easier to say than do, but it's easier to do if you have the knowledge of what you do. Yeah. So no, I, getting, getting into the process, it's like all yeah. things, always your result, you know, that that's a net result. It's not a result, right. <laughs> you know, it's the process and you get, get caught up in the process again and try and detach results. You get results. It's, it's the ultimate head, you know, what right. it really is. But, uh, that's what I've learned. As I say, all, all these years we're working, especially with the league golfers, it, they just do things a little differently. Hopefully I've been able to share with you guys a little bit of what I've learned. And, you know, I think everyone can find a better version within themselves. I think it starts with, you know, who you are as a person when you're out there and just keeping your perspective and start with gratitude. That's what I always do. I'm like, I can't believe I'm playing this golf course. This is phenomenal. Yeah. Obviously, I'm not trying to say, look, enjoy playing bad golf, right? I mean, that we all want to play better golf, but, you know, the way you react to bad shots is enormously important and everyone can improve on that part of the game. All right, that's that's really big, but I think so. Hundred percent. Well, that's great, Andrew. Thanks, thanks for coming Andrew. out. It's a thanks treat. for hopping aboard. Evan and Matt, back really appreciate it. A lot of fun. Thanks so much. Hey guys, this is Evan. Before you hop off board, if you love the podcast and you love our merchandise drops, I think I got something you'll probably enjoy. You go to thepartrain.com, hop aboard our email list, get a free newsletter that keeps your game on track. A little mental nugget every Monday. And then maybe even more importantly, first access to merchandise drops before any Instagram promotion. We send it to our email subscribers first. And so if that interests you, hop aboard the email list at thepartrain.com. Hope you guys enjoyed the ride. Take care.